Well, hi, everybody. Today's show is the first in a two-part series about both the challenges and best practices in bringing in the investment capital needed to continue your successful business growth and expansion. Now, it might be too dramatic to claim that businesses which don't grow ultimately fail, but ongoing profitable growth is certainly preferable to scenarios where businesses stagnate or underperform their competitors. If you've ever been down the route of trying to secure outside investment, you'll likely have found that this road is not easy. There are lots of challenges which we're going to explore with my guests today. There are also best practices which, if you're aware of them and proactively plan in advance, they can increase your success. I found that being able to demonstrate strong current performance, a strong talent pool, and a high confidence growth plan dramatically impacts your success. That's maybe another version of three Ps, right? Remember the four Ps of marketing, but I want to call this show the Practical CMO, and we're going to give you practical guidance from someone who's recently been successful going through the process of bringing in capital to support the growth initiative. So let's get the conversation started. Today, my guest is Joel Tyson, CEO and founder of a Minneapolis-based company called LifeSpark. LifeSpark delivers really unique 360-degree senior care, and I'm going to let Joel tell you a little bit more about how he got into this business, which he's built around a model of whole-person care. Joel's proven through the years that his approach to senior care improves not just quality of life, but reduces medical costs as well. Now, if you think that's innovative, it really is, and Joel's got the data to back up LifeSpark's claims. A few years ago, I met Joel and worked with his team to help define their growth opportunities. I'm really confident Joel will give you excellent guidance on today's topic, as he and his team recently secured a $16.1 million investment from California-based Virgo Investment Group. Joel, welcome to the Practical CMO. Hey, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Well, you've been on a growth path with LifeSpark for several years, and with the Virgo investment, you've got additional capital now to invest in operations, both scaling up and scaling out LifeSpark's business. Could you share a little bit about how you got to the point where you knew you needed to bring in investment capital, and perhaps just as a lead-in, kind of talk a little bit more about sort of LifeSpark, historically, how it got to this point? Yes. Sure, Mark. Um, first, you know, quick, I'm a nurse by background and I've grown up sort of in the industry. My in-laws took a company public in the home healthcare space back in the 80s. And I did a venture back startup in the 90s around geriatric care and senior care uh, services out in California. Uh, I started LifeSpark in 2004 with the context that the, I've, I've learned over those first 12 years or so that the healthcare system is really broken, right? Especially for seniors. The problem really is that under-servicing and over-servicing a lot of these folks in ways that aren't really beneficial to them long-term. And I felt there just needs to be a better way to help them age magnificently and, and do a better job and keep them off the roller coaster of acute care that's out there. So what LifeSpark really is and what we built over the years is really a, a proprietary tech-enabled whole person care delivery system where we incorporate both the medical side as well as the social determinant side of people to really look at uh, affecting population health. Two main things uh, happen over the last uh, four or five years that, that drove me to wanting to shoot for the big leagues. And that was, number one, internally, I was building capability and talent inside, as well as we were building experiences and the, the structure that was really the underpinning to be able to scale something in a bigger way. And then third, we were really focused on technology. Because technology internally and externally has is, is advanced so much, we felt there was a really big way to affect 
the way we use data and analytics to serve this population. So that was the internal and the external was market timing, right? I mean, everybody knows the senior group is growing at the fastest pace. Um, there's costs, 19% GDP on healthcare. And as we looked at that, and I looked at that, I always wanted to build a national scalable platform. And given the timing, right, the timing was so important, I figured now's the time to make it happen. And that's why I decided to raise capital because I couldn't capitalize the opportunity the way I wanted to with the organic growth and the net income that was being produced in the, in the company. That's mm-hmm. really the reason why it was timing. Yeah. And it was really a convergence of three factors, right? I mean, you've had this idea for a long time. You've worked on scaling it up. You built a successful business, but the convergence of technology, a value-based payment model, and the dramatic growth of the senior population sort of really created an unusual convergence for LifeSpark to take advantage of. Yeah. I mean, the value-based, your point, I mean, that's, that's where, you know, the markets move from a fee-for-service kind of acute reactive model to opening up this getting paid for wellness instead of sickness. And that's what was the pivot and the opportunity for us to jump into value-based. And, and to do that, again, you need that technology capability and longitudinal view on, on lives and on people. And so it really was the, the right time. And I said, for me, you know, I'm 52 years old now. I've seen a lot of battles. Now I was going after the war and I wanted to do something big in, in my life and for those that really need us most. So it was time, right? Now yeah. or never. Yeah. The passion you have for your businesses always comes through. I mean, it's, it's really necessary, isn't it, for someone to sort of be both passionate and thoughtful about where you're going to go. So I've always, I've recognized in that uh, from the day I met you, it's a great quality to have. You had options for bringing in investment capital, right? I mean, you had a small business loan you could tap into, probably had other options for financing. So what made you take this approach to go out to the private equity market? Great question, Mark. A couple of things. One, as I looked at the future and the opportunity, I started to see, you know, look, I could bootstrap, I could continue to do that. I could, you know, use the small business kind of loans that we've had and, and do that. I could work with some strategics, right, and get some strategic investment from some partners in the healthcare space and do that. But quite frankly, the opportunity, again, that timing was so interesting and unique on the convergence that I felt like we needed an institutional investor to help us create credibility in the global market and also strategically connected to some of their national connections and and partners as well. So it was kind of a two-step. The first step is to, yes, to validate yourself. And then secondly, as time goes on, as, as the company probably will need more capital in the future as we potentially go global uh, someday, I hope, you know, we wanted to build a, a good, strong foundation and uh, validity in the, in the capital markets. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to come back to this point, but you've already kind of alluded to the fact that it's really not just about the money. It's about what else your strategic investor brings to the table can be of real advantage in accelerating the company's growth. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, when we went out and started this process, we knew because we were already a profitable $35 million company that money wasn't going to be the problem in the sense we knew we could raise money. It was really raising the right money, right? Mm-hmm. The, the money that, uh, that brought the strategy and, and also alignment, right? I mean, the worst thing in the world to do is to get connected to a capital partner that's misaligned with you strategically. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but the planning and the diligence around stepping back and slowing everything down and getting clear about what that partner needed to bring and how that alignment needed to fit for us was critical in in our journey. Yeah. 
Let's talk a little bit about the process itself, Joel. So, you know, I know you use Elmer Baldwin as Senior Managing Director of Technology from the investment banking firm at Cherry Tree and Associates in Minneapolis. And I've, I've known Elmer for about 20 years, and you've known him for probably 10, I think. How did you meet Elmer, and what kind of support did he provide you and LifeSpark, uh, even kind of working up to the process of putting your confidential information memorandum together? I met Elmer doing some thought leadership work back about 10 years ago. Elmer at the time wasn't even in investment banking. He was a CEO of another company out in the market. And over the years, we've got to be very good friends and also really good bellwethers for each other on challenging each other's assumptions and also leadership, et cetera. So I met him there. And you know what was great about that journey of having that trust and that built integrity, uh, when Elmer went to work with Cherry Tree, he was already sort of a trusted advisor for me, as well as some other folks. And so Elmer was invaluable in bringing you know, his experience and his wisdom being you know, a multi-time CEO of public and private companies to the stage for me. I've done some as well, but not as deep as Elmer. And so he was able to not only bring his insight, but also bring his band of, of talent and capabilities, including companies that could help us really get clear about how to build that plan and build that sim and what we needed to do for second and third to put us in the right place to get ready for raising money. You talked about Elmer as a trusted advisor, Joel. You know, would you call him coach, mentor, orchestrator? I mean, how would you kind of describe the role he played getting LifeSpark ready for this funding round? It's kind of funny, Mark. I'd kind of use all those words, right? As you build good, strong relationships with smart people in the market, you, you know, you look at them in different ways at different times, right? Sometimes they're a coach. Sometimes you're their coach. Sometimes they're your mentor. Sometimes, you know, you, you build that kind of rapport. But, but Elmer did play sort of all those roles. And really what he brought was, you know, Elmer's a very diligent and goal-oriented and also very detail-oriented. He's a tech guy by nature. Mm -hmm. And so Elmer was basically saying, look, man, we got to really step back and get this information in detail to, to levels that for a person like myself, I like to just be intuitive and race fast forward. And Elmer slowed things down and said, look, we're dealing with sophisticated investors. We need to get all mm -hmm. of our playbook down tight. And that clarity and that coaching that he gave me and our team around Let's go through the process. Let's invest in this. We're going to need this. He had the clairvoyance and vision to know what was next. And so that was super important to myself and the, and the LifeSpark team. Mm -hmm. I'm sure along the way, he asked you some pretty tough questions as well, right? Sort of helping you get prepared for some of the questions that you, you were probably going to get from some of the future investors that would be interested in LifeSpark. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, you know, before we even started talking about building our SIM, our confidential information memorandum, you know, Elmer backed us up and said, look, let's do a five-year horizon growth plan. Let's get some people in this thing to help us build our plan regardless of investment, right? Even if we didn't take investment, we needed to get really clear about where the company was going and do that in a very rigorous, detailed, and diligent way. And so Elmer, in fact, brought in, you know, Mark, your group and your team to help us with that horizon growth before we even started building the sim, which was obviously looking back, it's always easy to do, was, was absolutely the, the must-have for us to mm -hmm. build a really quality sim that was uh, well-positioned for sophisticated investors. So you put together the, um, the sim, you generated a list of potential investors, and then the fun began, right? Because you had so much interest from many, many parties and following through and that's great, but then you've got to talk to them all, right? And you've got to vet them, and that's not an easy, simple process to go through, is it? 
No, and you know, it, it's not easy, but it's also, uh, it's kind of fun. I always look at things as they have to be fun and they have to be passionate and meaningful. And it was a challenge, but at the same time, it, it created great clarity. And, you know, the challenge of us, one of the things that we started before, again, we, we started talking to these folks is, is had the conversation about what do we need an investor, right? So we didn't just go, let's go talk to the investors. We said, what do we need? What, let's be picky here. Let's, let's make sure we know what, what it takes for us to have not only an investment thesis, but an investor, right? Who is that? Mm-hmm. What do they look like? You know, what, are, what attributes are we looking for in them? And we did that work before we started having the many, many, many conversations. In fact, to your point, we had 84 responses when we sent out our SIM. 84 different private equity firms came in with a letter of intent. So that was pretty cool to see that much interest based on the quality work that was done a year before or eight months right. before. right. And I know when that started happening, the challenges of running your business, because you have a successful business with good growth, you know, I think you're going 20% annually, even before you kind of brought in this investment. But, you know, trying to manage 84 parties that are interested in investing in your business and keeping the business running, got to be a little bit of challenge for you and the management team. Yeah, for sure. If those of you that haven't worked with them, but that's what the investment baker's job is, right? They get to, they get to shield you. They're the go-to, they're the between kind of brokerage firm. And so I did get a lot of shielding, which was helpful. And what was great though, is the core tenants and a lot of the sort of the questions that were needed to be built were universal, right? So once we built them, they were, they were relative to the, the total group, right? I mean, most mm-hmm. of the same questions of the 84 were most of the same questions, right? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. so once you built the rigor and the response, again, investors look at businesses in not always the same way, but many of the same ways, right? And, yeah, um, yeah. and so we were able to harden up our responses. And every time we got challenged, which was always like, oh my gosh, not another thing, right? It just made us better, quite honestly, yeah. Mark. I yeah. mean, it just made us better. It made us, it made us align deeper. It made us more committed to our journey and where we were going. And so, um, so yeah, it wasn't easy, but the investment bank played a, a very critical role in that. Great, thanks. So up to this point, we've talked about some of the lead-in to this exercise and the value a trusted advisor can bring in terms of helping you manage this process effectively and efficiently. Joe, I want to pick up a little bit of the conversation thread about your business situation prior to the capital acquisition activity. So you had strong business performance. You had a pretty good sense that there were multiple growth opportunities available to LifeSpark. And, you know, I think you and I agree that strong current performance is almost kind of a fundamental requirement of going out for additional investment. Because if you can't sort of demonstrate a good history of growth and good management, that's really an encumbrance on the process. And that's really kind of the first P. People is the second. And you had a really good team to work on this. We'll talk a little bit more about that. The third P, I think, as a success factor is having a quality plan. And when you and I first met, we engaged in applying horizon growth processes. And I remember that workshop we had where you and I, Elmer, and your executive team identified a whole series of potential growth opportunities. And during that workshop, we also prioritized those opportunities and started thinking about them and placing them on an initial roadmap where each of the opportunities, which represented an incremental revenue and profit stream, could start to layer on kind of a staircase growth model, if you will. How did that workshop affect your thinking about LifeSpark's future opportunities? It did really add a ton of value to my own leadership and my thinking. And I, I would start with the fact that, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're building a business for a period of time, you, 
you pretty much fall into the trap of kind of falling in love with some of your programs and some of your direction and some of your leadership. And what I quickly learned as we got into the details and started to break apart some of the different business lines and some of the different services was there's a lot of things I didn't know, right? I needed to unlearn some of the, the learning that I thought I had and also be vulnerable to new opportunity and new possibility. And in that opening up and that vulnerability that I had in that process, which wasn't easy because again, I'm not, I'm not easily won over. <laughs> so it was, it was a challenging time and had to have a lot of people pushing on me. Uh, yeah. It takes a little bit sometimes. But once I got my bell rung a few times, I started to listen a little bit better. And quite frankly, what it did in the end is it opened up new possibilities for even more significant growth and opportunity than I had in my mind before I started, Mark. I saw the company, you know, we could grow in certain ways and in certain market segments. And as the team debated it, both from having internal experts and external experts, which is super critical, I started seeing even more possibility and some of my beliefs were widened quite a bit. So Mm -hmm. I found it very, very helpful and important to really uh, get to the level of rigor and detail that was objective and provided good debate and opportunity for me to to think differently and, and be a better leader. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that workshop really well, even though it's been a little while, right? It was one of the livelier conversations I think I've ever been part of, right? Because you have people that are very passionate, like you are, about different business opportunities and why are why not are they a good fit for LifeSpark? And could we are we really positioned to take advantage of them? And how big are they? And can we do them profitably, right? But that's all that initial sort of uh, intake and profiling around opportunities. I mean, those are rich conversations that are really necessary in order to get the executive team aligned on the future. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. And we all have executive teams that have different tenures in our companies, right? Sometimes we have newer people, older people. And as I thought about this conversation today and just the whole process, I would have done the process, you know, looking back, I would do this process regardless of taking investment, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. It was the right process because of what you just mentioned, which is alignment, right? It got us crystallized and aligned. You know, we went through a lot of S-curve conversations, right? We, we had legacy businesses that some of them are valuable and some of them aren't quite frankly as valuable. And so we had to, you know, kind of hang on to the core, but yet jump into some of these new spaces with great vigor. And so I learned that, you know, this was, this was the right thing to do for us proactively Um, We talk about that with our clients, serving people proactively in our senior business. This financial exercise was critical in us getting that clarity and alignment, regardless of taking outside capital. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, after that growth workshop, we embarked on a cadence of weekly sessions, and it really took us about four or five months, I think, to profile each of the opportunities, to map the market potential, to look at the competitive situation, the competitive landscape. And then we built pretty detailed initial 10-line P&Ls, which were probably the most important part of that exercise was capturing the key assumptions that we could go on and uh, validate over time. You know, you chose to kind of put a small team on this, a subset of the executive team, which I think was the second success factor because you had some really good people working on this, right? You know, what did you take away from that sort of weekly cadence and that sort of rigor of, okay, every week we're going to move the ball on this, right? We're going to get more clarity about what our future could look like. I think the takeaways for me was, you know, and again, for other people on the phone is that, you, you know, it, it is critical for the commitment, right? You have to get out in front of this. This isn't, we wouldn't have been able to build the SIM and raise the money if we didn't do the five-year horizon growth and get in alignment around our, our true business case and business strategy. So I think the cadence, what it did was 
And again, that much time is necessary because there has to be work and then thought, work and then thought, work and then thought. And so for me, that cadence allowed me to have the breathing and the thinking time in between these parts and pieces to really get solid, right? And to get the team solid. I mean, there was many alignments that were happening from week to week, from month to month, mm-hmm. where then in the end, now you have a very sharp spear. I mean, everyone at the end of this was like, oh my gosh, it was like self-evident, right? It was like the adoption curve, right? It was a lot of ridicule and a lot of tenacious kind of in, I would say fighting, in debating. And then mm-hmm. in the end, it was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what we should do, right? This is totally clear, right? And it's, it's, it's just where we need to go. Yeah. So that's kind of how I looked at it. But the, but the commitment to it, you know, I would never recommend thinking that you can just build a sim or that you can embark on a two or three week strategy session to get yourself ready for, for positioning yourself with sophisticated investors to raise significant capital. I think that would be the wrong move. Yeah. And, you know, your point about, gosh, even if I wasn't going to go through this process to raise investment capital, it's a process that businesses should go through so they have a clear view of where their opportunities are and can really align and prioritize those, get the organization focused on them. And I think one of Elmer's favorite quotes is, you can't manage what you can't clearly envision. And, you know, that's what, that's what his sort of take on this whole process is you need to know where you can go. You know, there's always that milestone, too, when you kind of, we get all the individual 10-line P&Ls rolled up from each of the opportunities. And you're like, okay, so how big could we be, right? I remember my reaction when you told me what that number was. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what did you think when you kind of finally did the roll up on all the financial potentials? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually fun. It would have been fun at the beginning of the exercise to ask all the executives, like, how big should the company be in five years or in six or seven years? And then at the end, once we're done, have that same question and see where people are. Because I know intuitively, and also just because of my work with them individually, there were people all over the map. You know, some people thought we were going to be $60 million company, some thought 100, some thought 200. And again, it just created that crystallization and that belief back to what you just, the quote that you just used, you know, that belief that, hey, this is legit. Like this is Mm -hmm. real. And this is, if we play our cards right and bring on the right partner, we can absolutely do this. So it actually upped my number quite a bit as well and opened up my belief system on how opportunistic and and how powerful the company could be with the, with the right partner and the right strategy. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. You had a really good team working on this, Joel. I mean, the financial rigors, the um, the rigors of really understanding the market opportunities was really very strong. And I think they sort of took to this very readily, the whole sort of planning idea here. I think the quality of what you put together was very extraordinary as well. But did Virgo appreciate the work that the team did in putting that at investment thesis together and sort of putting that level of detail into your confidential information memoranda? Yeah, I mean, for sure, Mark. I mean, I believe probably we would have never got the kind of interest and the ultimate uh, best partnership without having the discipline and the the work that was done over that eight months in line with not only the written work, right? I mean, there was the written product, the deliverable of the sim, but, you know, the other part that we haven't talked about yet is just the intuitive and the the learning within the team, right? The, The confidence. So, obviously, it isn't just sending out a document and getting funded. I mean, then you have management groups that come in and, and basically pick you apart, right? And want to pick mm-hmm. you apart and, and ask you all the questions. And because of the work, our team was so confident, right? They could answer the questions. They, they right. knew where their thesis came from. They knew the back work. They knew three layers deep on those questions, which if you didn't do that rigor and didn't go through those exercises on a week over week over week basis, you'd be 
probably stumped and put in positions where you didn't have a quality answer or a quality response. And my team was, you know, obviously empowered and emboldened through that because of the work and because of the learning and the, uh, the ability for them to anticipate potential holes in the sim. So, I mean, it was, it was not only the written work, but also the confidence and alignment and understanding of the depth of the work that our team was able to learn through the process. A lot of learning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you told me you went through what, 14 dog and pony shows with different potential investors. Yeah. 12, 12, 12, 12 different okay. groups. Yeah. Well, 12 is plenty, right? 14. <laughs> you don't need those extra. It was plenty. <laughs> it was plenty. Yeah, it was great. We had a lot of interest. And again, another great experience for our teams. And, and it gave them a lot of confidence, right? Because they knew we weren't just trying to play to one horse, right? We had yeah. lots of options and that gave them confidence. And, you know, quite frankly, one of the things we didn't talk about as well is that, you know, I told the team going into this entire process, once we got through our horizon growth and our clarity on our strategy, mm-hmm. I actually um, secured a, an SBA loan that I personally guaranteed, you know, about 6 million bucks just to make sure that we had a backstop in case this didn't go out where we wanted it to. Like we didn't right. find the right partner yeah. now, right? Because these are all yeah. timing related, as you know, and things are changing rapidly. Obviously, we've started to get into the COVID scenario. And so there was lots of variables that were somewhat controllable and somewhat not controllable. But anyway, I wanted to make sure that the team felt going into those conversations with all those folks that we didn't have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Our premise was the time to raise money is not when you absolutely have to have it, right? The time to raise money is when you're envisioning a thoughtful plan and you can be diligent about how to use that capital and put it to work, not right. desperation. And I got to you know, fund my operational losses. I mean, that's just not the time to do it. So I think because of that, it created a, a really great grenade scenario for us to be able to select and, uh, and secure not only a partner, but the best partner. Yeah. Did you feel that you were, you know, I think sometimes in those dog and pony shows, you sit and you wonder, am I buying or am I selling, right? Am I selling these guys or are they buying me, right? Did ever, that thought ever occur to you in any of those 12 conversations? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think like I was kind of alluding to, you know, that happened way before we started having those conversations, right? We had a clear internal team commitment, including Elmer and our advisory team that said, look, we're only going to do this if it makes sense for all of us, right? I told the team, my executive team, I said, look, if you guys don't want to do this, we're not going to do this, right? So it was truly a give and take, right? I mean, it was a buying and a selling. I mean, obviously, we want capital. We wanted, we wanted to, to use the capital, but more importantly, we wanted a strategic partner that could help us in the market and validate and, and help us strategically. So there was a lot of questions. We actually, in turn, we had our own diligence document where we asked a lot of questions and, and had them also fulfill on some of their... Uh, back work so we could mm-hmm. know that it was the right partner. And I think that's a really important part where a lot of people just go into this like, oh my gosh, we got to like do dog and pony shows and we got to like sell them and we got to, we got to get them, we got to get them. And then they forget that like the worst thing in the world for companies, as you know, Mark, uh, is to get aligned with the wrong kind of financial investor. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That kills many, many companies and many, many uh, visions and many, many great opportunities. So, so I think it's a great question that you bring up. I think you got to do your diligence as well. And, and that should be absolutely part of anyone's journey on this is to ensure that you know who you're dealing with, right? Yeah. And you know that, I mean, I'd like you to recap some of the best practices and practical guidance as we kind of put a wrap around this, but you've given the audience some really rich guidance. I mean, the whole notion of slowing down, having a safety net, so you know you don't have to do this. 
all great stuff. The value of horizon growth planning. What would you summarize, Joel, as the key success factors in doing this, going through this investment capital acquisition process successfully? That's a great question, Mark. And I think you've touched on a few of them and I've touched on them through, but I'll just say a few of them kind of in a wrap up here. I think first, you know, like as, as an internal team and as executive team, I really want to make sure we all view that this is the right direction to go. I think transparency in an organization is critical. A lot of companies do these things kind of under the radar and raise capital and then everybody finds out later. We, in fact, told our frontline staff we were out looking for capital, which was not like most companies do. So I think transparency is a really big thing that I would recommend. If you really have good intention and you have intentions that, that are good to build a business and build a vision uh, with passion, I think you know transparency is really important. Second, I would say you've got to get both your internal team aligned, but also you need some external experts, right? Don't go it alone. You know, isolation is fatal in my mind. And bringing in people like Elmer and yourself and other savvy, wise experienced business leaders to help guide you and not fall into the traps and pitfalls that a lot of companies do going through this process is absolutely critical. So I'm always big on first the who, then the what, right? And so the who is really important, both internally and externally. I think give yourself a long runway to your Mm -hmm. point. I mean, kind of go into it when you don't need it. If you can do that, I mean, if you have the luxury, go into it with confidence that, look, if we don't do this, we're still okay. Right. So mm-hmm. don't put yourself in a vulnerable position, like overspend and then, you know, have to go raise capital. And then you're, you know, you're basically going to get leveraged. Right. I, mean, I don't like to be leveraged. And I don't think anybody probably on this call would like to get leveraged, but you got to be smart about that. And that is to back up the process and give yourself a year when you think about raising serious, sophisticated institutional mm-hmm. investors. So I think that, and then I think the final thing is once you're getting closer to, to that, I mean, again, the horizon growth really built the sim. So the horizon growth work on the strategic planning is super critical and lining out these businesses in great detail, getting you to the sim. But then the final thing I would say is make sure you do diligence on what you want in a partner. Be very, very clear. Have external people help you with that as well. People that have been with good partners, bad partners, what makes a good partner strategically and have a thesis around that as well mm-hmm. and do your homework. Um, don't yeah. just make it a one-sided, you know, like, oh, we have to serve these folks and we have to play to their, their wishes. And, you know, you should be doing as much diligence on them as they are on you. Um, So that's what I'd wrap with uh, Mark. I think it can be a great thing. And I'm really excited about our partner Virgo and got a partner that's not only um, financially invested in us, but strategically invested in us. And we're very excited that, that that part is as deep as the financial investment. Well, Joel, thanks for joining me. I mean, gosh, you've given our listeners just rich information about both challenges and best practices and what you need to do to be successful in um, acquiring outside capital. Would it be okay if we gave your listeners your contact information if they'd like to follow up with you? Sure, sure. Yeah, my email is J, and then it's my last name, T-H-E-I-S-E-N, at LifeSpark, L-I-F-E-S-P-R-K, no A, dot com. So J-T-H-E-I-S-E-N, at L-I-F-E-S-P-R-K, dot com. That would be great, Mark. If anybody has any questions or thoughts or anything they'd like to push me on, uh, I'd appreciate the connection. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again. On our uh, next month's show, we're actually going to have Elmer Baldwin come on, and we're going to take the same topic on, but from uh, an investor's point of view, right? So kind of get Elmer's take on challenges and best practices and what kind of guidance he would give CEOs as well. So thanks, everybody. It's a wrap on uh, another episode of The Practical CMO, and we'll talk soon. Cheers, everybody.